Welcome to It's a Nice Place to Brew with Jason and George, a show about all things beer and beer making. Gentlemen, please broadcast responsibly. See, there we go. Get your little dance in. Yeah. I did. And, I, you know, it just feels so much better now that that's the case, <laughs> you know? Makes you happy and it makes me happy. Yeah. So. Welcome to A Nice Place to Brew. I'm Jason. And I'm George. This is going to be a uh, special, uh, uh, less less scripted episode. Is that, a, is that a fair way to say it? Well, considering there's pretty much no script and a general outline, then, yeah, I'd say that's probably pretty well, fair. Well, less, none, you know, it's, you know... Six to one, <laughs> half a dozen the other. <laughs> Anyways, um, we've got a discussion topic um, that uh, I think uh, I think is uh, I think is going to be a good takeaway for for anybody who's listening. Um, for those of you out there who homebrew, you in, you undoubtedly um, are either entrenched in or at least are very familiar with the craft beer scene and just the difference between being in that versus you know, following products made by the uh, the big breweries. So um, that's, I guess, a little tease. But uh, I got a couple thing, a couple other things I want to dive into before we get into the topic. Uh, first off is our social okay. media links. Uh, check us out on Facebook at Nice Place to Brew and on Instagram at A Nice Place to Brew. Um, uh, this is uh, the time of this recording is April of 2019, and. Uh, George and I are experimenting a little bit. Uh, we're, there's going to be some added recordings in in the month of April, and this is the first of of several that are gonna that are gonna land in April. And uh, you know, we're you know we're kind of seeing seeing a couple things that uh, that just might stick. And uh, I'm looking forward to tonight's episode. Just uh, you know, as a first as a first step in that. I agree. I think it could be interesting. It could basically mean nothing or it could be an interesting um development for for what's going on so yeah unrelated topic and i'm just gonna get this out there and mostly because i've been entrenched in it for the last two hours or so um i feel like there could be a segment on this show called lessons from jason's mistakes and uh, I, I feel like you know I'm I'm living that right now. So I'm just gonna I'm I'm just gonna dump out here here for the show. Just you know what I've been dealing with. Okay. All right. So all right. So um, I made a double IPA uh, about two months ago. Um, and uh, obviously being a double IPA, the hop additions were heavy. Um, in this uh, in this recipe, there also was dry hopping. So. Hit all my gravity numbers on brew day, pitched the yeast, had a real healthy fermentation, everything was good. Transferred it to a secondary, um, uh, secondary which called for an ounce and a half of dry hop. Had a you know had a week in the secondary, everything looked good. <clears throat> so what I did then is I took the secondary from room temperature in my house out to my garage, where of course it's the middle of winter, so getting down to cold crashing temperatures is not a problem and requires nothing other than being in the garage. And uh, after that was done, it was transferred into a keg. Now I thought that my auto siphon um, had plenty of room to avoid either carrying over any trub or also carrying over any of the dry hopping from the secondary. Well. Okay. I was wrong. Oh, and no. I've got, you know, and to make matters worse, I have a I have a 
bit of an old style keg that's got a straight dip tube in it. And there is so much gunk at the bottom of this beer um, that it clogs the bottom of my dip tube and I cannot get any liquid out of this keg whatsoever. Oh, I was wondering if it was that one. Okay. So, so um, I got a couple of words of advice, which turned out to be false. The first was that um, what's happening is the, uh, is the end posts are, uh, getting clogged up with the hops, which makes a lot of sense, but that's not the case. The issue is strictly the uh, where the dip tube is placed versus where all the trub is at. Um, so I can't get, can't seem to get uh, get past that. So I guess I guess the tip from Jason's mistake here is when transferring from a secondary into a keg, you need to take nothing with you and go to every measure possible to make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah, and the easiest way is typically just staying on top of, you know, staying above the troop. And, and like you said, I'm sure that you, you know, when you were when you were doing that, you, you, you know, were doing your best to make sure that you didn't transfer that stuff over. I mean, that's been a thing for us for a long time is making sure we don't transfer over as much of that as possible. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes that's not the easiest thing in the no. world. No, it's proven to be right now, and I've... I've had quite a bit of energy dumped into this. So now I'm left with kind of two options. Number one is I can go online and buy a shorter dip tube, which doesn't go down to the floor of the keg like most dip tubes do. You know, it's a relevant option. It'll cost me some money, but it'll at least get get me off of the issue that I'm at right now. Or I can find an instrument that's going to cut two inches off the end of my dip tube. Another viable option, well, it, but you know, it you know is. that's kind of a permanent. But I kind of see that as a as a permanent solution to a temporary problem. I wondered that as well. And and so, do you have an open keg at this nope. point? We're okay. just just right off the know. big competitions, man. Everything's full. Okay, so go buy a keg. <laughs> a more expensive solution. <laughs> yes, but a long-term profitable one because you will have another keg that you can put beer into and that is good that that will help you forever (laughs) yeah yeah okay that's fair (laughs) so that is uh you know and then you can transfer it into that other keg keep it keep it off the bottom recarbonate if you need to and go from there let me let me put out to the people that are listening to this episode. I want to hear from everybody who's listening. Come over to our social media page and answer this question for me. How many five-gallon kegs do you as a home brewer own? I want to know that. Maybe I'm just That's a maybe good I'm just being cheap and I'm just stuck to my three that I have here in the house. It was two for several years and then I gave in you know, right after Christmas and I bought a third one, you know, am I just being stubborn on this or should I just, you know, dip into my wallet and get more? Well, I mean, I don't have three. I have two and I've considered a third one, but the, my limitation right now is my kegerator. I can't fit another, um, another one. I have the same problem. Old 47 tops out of two. Yeah. Tops. What did it? I feel like we got three in there. Well, I mean, if you if you also need to include a CO two tank and or a secondary for lagering, that third that space for three goes away. 
That's true. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's been my limitation. So, I have not invested in a third one. And I was just uh, pouring myself a, a, a glass of my brute IPA before we started and realized that I'm worryingly close to the bottom of that keg and I will have no homebrew in the house. So, I need to finish up this Saison so I can get it in there. Um, but I mean, there's been times when I've topped out and I've had both my kegs filled. I want to do another one and I'm trying to figure out what do I do now? And, uh, well, so, I mean, I understand that. I mean, what you could do, Jason, is you could sanitize the crap out of a carboy, transfer your beer into the carboy, clean out your keg and then transfer it back into the keg. Now, you obviously are going to be introducing oxygen to the mix that you don't normally want to, and you're going to want to make sure that you get the end of that dip to the, the, the auto siphon hose into the liquid as quick as possible so you don't introduce more. Um, but if you can't get anything out of that keg, then that's pretty much not usable beer in its current state. Yep. And... You, you went right to my area of concern with that option of, is the oxygen exposure. So Yeah, I know. I'm just... I mean, you're, yeah, you're right. It, you it, could take measures to minimize that, but it's, it's not going to be... It's not fail-safe. Yeah, I mean, fail... And even this isn't really fail-safe, but the mi- most minimal touch option that you have there is getting the shorter dip tube, either cutting a dip tube or buying a shorter dip tube, and uh, and by the way, a welding shop would be able to lop that off for you in seconds. True. Um, uh, but you know, or getting a shorter dip tube and putting that in. Uh, there's a lot of people that they do that as as a rule, especially those guys that uh, carbonate using um, like bottle carbonation methods. They put corn sugar and, and yeast into the keg to assist with the carbonation, um, they do that. They'll lop about an inch off the bottom of it in order to make sure that it doesn't, um, you know, that that what it, what gets left over from that doesn't get caught up in the dip right. tube. I'm definitely leaning towards just, you know, splurging the money and, and getting another dip tube. Um, I think I've found the right one, keyword think. And you know what? That might even be the next edition of Learn from Jason's Mistakes if I get a wrong dip <laughs> tube. But yeah, I mean, it seems it seems like the logical solution. And, you know, my overall beer loss would be, you know, the equivalent of two inches at the bottom of my keg, which at the end of the day I can live with. We're getting, you know, we're getting into the warmer months. Um, I do have a number of um, uh, beers that I would like to... Um, get brew days on the calendar for you, George, you and I have one that's, you know, kind of right around the corner here too. So, you know, that prospect doesn't terrify me. What does terrify okay. me is the idea that you may not have any homebrew in your house, sir. I'm working on it. I, yeah, okay. So we talked about this, the Saison I have, um, it car, it, it went down to, 10 12 and i wanted it to be at 1006 um which i realize is an aggressive amount of attenuation so and the other part is too i kind of pushed the yeast a little bit and i didn't 
I, I didn't make a starter for a number of different reasons. So it was a direct pitch of liquid yeast that I allowed to expand and things did, did the usual smack pack stuff. Okay. But I didn't create a starter. So I don't, don't think there was enough yeast in there to really do the job effectively. In fact, I think it, you know stressing those little guys out might actually create some really interesting esters in there that might be beneficial to the beer in the long yeah, run. That's, that's a good um, point. So, yeah, I, I don't know if that's going to work out in my favor or not, but I um, I went in and I added in uh, some USO5 dry yeast that I have, and I have been noticing some activity. Now, granted, I'm asking it to go from 10.12 to 10.06, so I shouldn't expect you know, much by way of activity in Kreuzen, especially considering that I put firm cap in the uh, in the mixture. So that's going to keep the foam to a minimum already. Um, so I'm giving that a few days to see if we are, you uh, see if I can drive it down just a little bit more. Uh, but I really want to get it into my keg um, by like Thursday, Friday, be, so I can, because uh, I got my homebrew club next Wednesday. Okay. So I want to make sure I, I'm carbonated by then. Good deal. And you said, okay, 10.12 is your starting point. You want to get to 10.06, ideally, and you're, get, you're seeing a little bit of activity from the second yeast pitch? Yeah, basically some, uh, you know, very little, you know, movement in the airlock. That if I tap the top of an airlock, the top of the airlock, a bubble mm. gets released, you know, kind of thing. So it's usually kind of what you would see right towards the tail end of fermentation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, you you could very well lose a point or two, and you're still well within saison range. Now, I mean, definitely you're gonna saison ideally is gonna fish, finish on the drier range, hence the ten oh six. Um. But, I mean, you're not, I don't think you're out of style at all where you're at. No, I'm not. I was just hoping for something a little bit more dry dry because I did put in the, um, I, I, <laughs> I put in uh, ginger, uh, sweet orange peel, and black pepper. So, I don't want sweetness to be a note in there because that's really going to fight with those spices and not you know, have a good sensation. So I really want, I actually considered throwing in some, uh, of that, um, what's that stuff? Uh, Google Annalise in there. <laughs> <laughs> you know break what? down some of those complex you know, sugars. That's a great, that's a great platform for the Glucoanalyse. Annalise. Yeah, I thought about it, but I don't want to dry it out to, you know, like a champagne quality or anything like that. So I'm, uh, um, you know, so I decided not to do that. Okay. Okay. Well, speaking of, uh, of the Cezanne style, um, I have a Cezanne in front of me right now. Oh, you do? I what do. Kind? This will be my first Cezanne of the year. And, uh, I won't make this a totally formal other brew reviewed or, or a, uh, live review as, as would be kind of fitting here. But I have a Cezanne that came to me as a gift from a brew club friend of mine. And it's a saison uh, from a, a uh, from a brewery out of Greece. Now, I guess okay. I'm not. You had a Grecian beer before. Yes, this too, came from you? the same gift pack from from okay, the same club right. member. So yes, uh, I'm drinking a beer from a brewery called Mykonos Brewing Company out of. 
word I can't pronounce Greece. Mukovic? Mukovic? Is it is it Mykonos or is it Mykonos? I don't know. I don't. Okay. Well, it might be. It might be. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, it's it's a, it's a microbrewery out of Greece. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I'm looking here in, in Untapped at some of the other check-ins for this, and it looks to me like all these reviews are from people from Greece. So, uh this is going to be kind of a rare opportunity for what appears to be a smaller Grecian brewery to be reviewed on an American uh, homebrew craft brewery podcast. So cheers. Uh, cheers from America. <laughs> well, um, so how's it? Well, I, I guess the uh, two, two initial comments. One, uh, George, when you were here and we tried one of the other beers from that same pack, um, the carbonation was, I mean, heavy to put it mildly. And this one, this oh, one, yeah, had that, I do remember this that. one yeah. had that same quality. Like I had to, I've got a little 12 ounce glass in front of me. I mean, and I really had to take my time pouring this just to have, to have, have <laughs> enough room to, to have beer in the glass. But I'll tell you, um, this tastes more, it's interesting that the, the bottle says a blonde saison, this tastes a lot more like a um, American pale ale than I would consider to be a saison. Um, we're talking about uh, how dry it finishes. I would not describe this as having a dry finish. This has more of a um, kind of a light. I would describe almost as a light lager finish slash APA. You know, my earlier comparison. It finishes more in in that. Um, in that realm than, than the dry blonde, dry character you would get from a blonde Saison. Either way, this is pretty refreshing, and I I think it's pretty good. Nice. Do you get any of like the spicy or uh, fruity notes that you would usually find in a Saison? Nothing that I would consider fruity. There is a hint of something, and I'm not, I, I'm not able to quite pinpoint it just yet. Okay. It's very mo- it, Does it it's, say it's anything very, on the? It doesn't say anything on the bottle or anything. Uh, bottle is not in English. Oh yeah, okay, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> um, what about what about untapped um, here? Hold, hold on, let me see. Okay, or I was gonna say you could. It, they have the and and this might you know this is way too much for right now, but I believe the newest Google Translate app has that live translate thing that you can. Uh, hold your phone up and it'll live translate it for you. If it's able to, if it's one of the languages it's able to. You know, to. I've heard about that. Um, I've not seen it in action, but I'm very intrigued. I have seen it in action. I did it once with um, some Spanish language. Actually, it was, oh, and this is terrible of me. It was part of a contract um, that I was looking at for my company. I made sure there was nothing that... You know, the Google app would see that had uh, customer data in it, but I did use it to figure out what the heck our sales team was uh, talking about. Okay. So, <laughs> There's nothing wrong is, with that. Uh, well, you know, I mean, customer privacy concerns, you wouldn't think that, it, but it's it's passing through a Google computer at some sure, point. So, sure. it, you know, it's just a thing. But, yeah, and I work for a security company, so there's that. Um, I see it as just you're doing your job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Looking out for people's credit card data. Yeah. So, 
yeah, protecting yeah. No, that, people's credit plan. card data. That's the yeah. plan. Yeah. So, uh, so none of that. Those notes. You seem to think it rates. If if you did a blind test of it, you're saying you you'd classify it more as a APA or uh, some sort of a pale ale than a uh, than a. Saison. That's what I. That's how I would describe it. Yeah. Um, I'm reading it, reading okay. the description that's on here because I'm trying to I'm trying to get the character that that I was tasting as far as the spice notes. Um, Untapped describes this. I mean, it's got it's styled, you know, under the saison slash farmhouse ale style, and its description mm-hmm. is hazy yellow color with white head. Yeah, got that. Yeasty, malty, mm-hmm. and light hoppy aroma. I agree with all those. Spicy, okay. fruity, banana citrus, herbal notes. That's one, two, three. That's four different descriptions, and I, I'm not getting any of those four. Yeasty, malty, huh. light, hoppy aroma. Yeah, I agree with those. The later ones, yeah, I'm not not catching that. Yeah, that's Sweet weird. Sweet and light, bitter taste. I wonder if it- Yeah, I got that. Light to medium, oily body with soft carbonation. I agree with that, except for the, for the carbonation part, but I'm sure it's, you know, it's travel from Greece to the United States probably contributed to that, so... Yeah. Well, and that's what I was wondering. I wondered if you had this on draft in Greece or even in, you know, greater Europe, that if it would, if it would be different. That's a, I, I got to imagine partially. That's yes, a great question. You know? And I would, I would absolutely think that it would, that it would be noticeably different. Road trip? Greece? Sure. I'm in. <laughs> Man, I'll see it. We'll see head the over airport. to Greece. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll try this beer on draft. And then we'll come sure. back. <laughs> I'm in. A future oh, episode man. of A Nice Place to Brew will come to you live from Greece. <laughs> live from Greece, because why not? <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah. All right. All right. Should we get into the topic? Yeah. We shall. All right. Uh, yeah. And I w- we were kicking around and, and wanting to... to you know, have something that we could talk about that wasn't our, you know, usual format. We are going to do one of those shows this month just to keep with tradition, but we wanted to do these kind of, well, at this rate, it's not going to be a shorter episode, but you know, these, these other, the other topics where we just kind of explore other, you know, themes and thoughts and things like that. So I was walking around my yard with my dogs and thinking about, what we could talk about. One of the things that I, you know, thought about was we spend a lot of time in home brewers and craft beer enthusiasts do this a lot, ragging on the mega breweries, ragging on those breweries that are, you know, like the Miller Coors, Anheuser Busch, Heineken, um, those guys, uh, you know, and basically saying how much we don't like them and prefer the the craft beer um you know to to those those you know styles and and breweries and and so i I thought about it and i was like okay so what is it because a lot of those guys just go well you're just jealous you know we're making a lot of money we make a lot of beer you're just jealous and so i thought about it it was like is that why we don't like them or is there other things that you know we can that we can point to and say this is why we have a dislike of the mega breweries and you know jason's on board and so i thought you know we could just have a serious discussion about 
why we don't like these guys. And back to my my point at the earlier part of the episode, um, I, I think anybody who's listening is going to relate to this in, in your own way. Um, I'm sure there's people listening that, you know, like George and I, are heavily entrenched in, in home brewing, are heavily entrenched in, you know, the craft brewery scene, you know, wh- you know wherever it is that, that you live. There's also people that casually drink craft beer. They drink, you know, they casually drink, you know, big brewery beer. And I think everybody's going to have a little bit of a different opinion on this. But I think there's some large picture themes that I think everybody is going to relate to. And um, and I think uh, I think there's a lot of depth in this topic. And I think uh, I think yeah. And and I want to start this off by saying, and I think Jason would echo this. You can tell me if if you think differently, but. This isn't. I don't. I, I don't fault anybody for drinking a Coors Light. I don't fault anybody for liking those breweries. Uh, and we even talked about it during our Pilsner episode. I mean, they're consistent. You know what you're going to get. And you know, if that's your cup of tea, that is, um, you know, that that go for it. You know, be do do your thing. You know, have fun, and. I, you know, we, we'll, we'll make jokes and we'll crack wise that, you know, you're just basically drinking water or, you know, and things yeah. like that. Yeah. And those, that's fun to do. But, you know, I think you're with me on this, Jason. I, I don't hold it against anybody that likes that beer. I agree. But, even, but throughout all those examples, I would make a conscious effort to try to introduce other things that may veer that person in a different direction. I, I at least, and I've definitely at least done I'm, that. I'm snobbish enough in my craft beer ways that I would do that. But I, I agree yeah. with you. I would not, you know, I wouldn't slap the can out of somebody's hand for, you know, for having a Bud Light or a Miller Light or something like that. There's certain circles yeah, you would find I, that. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's the difference between a craft beer enthusiast and a craft beer snob. Yeah. Is... If you can, if you look at somebody that is drinking a Bud Light or a, I don't even, my God, I don't even know what the the styles are for for these guys at this point, other than the obvious ones. You know, if you're looking at one of those guys and you're saying, "Ugh, that's one of those mass market beers," and you know, it's it's not worth it. It's beer, for God's sake, you know. And that's it. It shouldn't be life and death, and it shouldn't create rift and division like that that is not what beer is made for well you know a certain big brewery has really gotten their money's worth out of that fact right there with their recent ad campaign um with that tagline yeah. dilly dilly and you know they've got that snobbish you know king and queen that that you know that are visitors in a you know in like a royal <laughs> setting and they're, and they're talking about you know meat and its mouth feel and the aroma and things like that and i'll, I'll say it it really is a great ad campaign it's, it's oh my it's, god it's hilarious it's, i love it's it very, <laughs> it's very sharply pointed i mean the, the point is very very clear but i i gotta hate it it's very funny and it's very creative and and the point comes across yeah. you know very clear and and the, and and let's be honest those those beer snobs that would you know that that go to that level with people that just want to drink beer deserve that kind <laughs> of lampooning you know and i'm all for it now if you have somebody that says okay teach me how to drink beer or how to appreciate beer the way you do my god do all that stuff because that is 
you know, that that'll give them a new appreciation for how, how the beer rolls out. I mean, one of our good friends, I was drinking one of his favorite beers. It was um, Delirium Tremens with him. And I, I was drinking it. And I was like, oh, man, that's some really good banana notes in there because it's a Belgian beer. Okay. And and he looked at me and he's like, oh, dear God. Yes, there is banana notes, and I'm never going to be able to not taste that anymore. You know, well, he's, he's <laughs> making it a Belgian. Like, what did he expect? Well, no, he's drinking a Belgian. It was a it was a Delirium Tremens. It's a, it's a oh, commercially produced oh, one. Oh, okay. Oh, geez, I didn't reckon. I didn't catch the name right away. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but um, yeah. So it was. It's a. So he he just bought a beer that he likes, and here I am pointing out the different subtleties of it and things. <laughs> and and like I said, I wasn't trying to do it in a. I'm going to teach you about this kind of way. I just made a comment. Yeah. That uh, you know I would normally make around you and our uh, craft beer friends, and it just sparked something in his head that he's like, I. It's like one of those things you can't unhear or unsee. <laughs> you know, he can't untaste that now. You know. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, but yeah, so that I think point is the the point is don't rag on people for enjoying beer, you know. So what so but, what do you think it is then? What is it about I mean cuz yes, it, I think we're correct to this point where we talk about the fine line between the craft beer snob, you know, and the craft beer fan who's not so uptight. But I mean between right. those two worlds, what is it what at least would they agree on that's you know that's negative about big brewery products or just their presence in general i think it's their 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 dominance and their relentless um uh um what's the word i'm looking for they they are relentless in how they maintain that dominance to the point where they're lobbying to create laws that a craft brewery can only make so much beer or a home brewer can only make so much beer before they hit, you know, an artificial cap set by a state government for God knows what reason. Um, and the only real reason is because they're allowed, these breweries are allowed to make more, you know, kind of thing. And the other part is, is it, of it too is, when we see a craft brewery really start to hit it big and and they've got a really good product and they go they're, they're going forward with it a lot of times the, these mega breweries will snap those guys up absorb their recipes into their stuff add a whole bunch of stuff to it and then the quality of it goes down it's reminiscent of what it used to be but it's it's not the same anymore you know you get different examples of of that, what you just described about, you know, the dominance of the large breweries, um, you know, the fact that they've come and swallowed up some of the more prominent uh, craft breweries in the area, you know, there's there's several things you can say about that. You know, I, I'm not going to go as far as to defend um, those those particular acts, but there's something to say. There's something to be said about um, just you know, business in general in the nature of just growth and acquisitions and, um, you know, diversification and things like that. You see that, you see those same themes throughout every business in every industry. You know, I, oh, I, mean, sure. I mean, craft beer and just, you know, brewing in general is not, you know, is not any different than those. 
So, you know, I guess those those parts right there don't surprise me. Uh, certainly, your your points are accurate about their about their actions in the legal environment to make things more difficult for small breweries to distribute and do things like that. And you know, the backlash for that is well deserved, a hundred percent. Yeah, and and I think that that is. You know, the kind of the, when you really look at like the business side of it and everything, that's the core of it is that we see because when, you know, the part of it is it's annoying that these breweries are so popular and have so much of the market share when arguably, unless it's a limited run special thing they're doing, it's not the quality of the beer is not as good as a, you know, a down the street craft brewery. Should we talk about that? I mean, let's, let's go in depth with, with that point. Cause I think there's, I think there's arguments on both points that are very valid. Agreed. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think we should. And, you know, and when I say the quality of the beer now, like I said before, they're consistent and they're consistently, they they consistently produce the same product they they set out to produce, and that, that what in, I mean that in itself is challenging, and uh, I think it's worth seeing an accomplishment that they can, you know, put consistent output that's the same in the right. way that they do. Agreed. Right. You open up one, it, it's like you know what KBS every year it's slightly different. Right. But every year Coors Light is still Coors Light, you know, kind of thing. Exactly. So. It's, it, but at the same time, every year Coors Light is still Coors Light. It's still reminiscent, you know. It still has that taste of beer and everything, but it's not. It's not. It's it's usually thinner. It's usually less flavorful, and it doesn't have like you know hop character. And now I'm starting to sound like a snob, but you know it doesn't have <laughs> those different. Um, elements that we really jam on with the craft beer scene in in the in those beers and and they do make variations like i'm picking on the the american pilsners but you know they do make variations that do have more uh flavor to them but it's still if you compare style to style it's 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 almost a pale imitation of what a craft brewer can produce the big breweries also have virtually unlimited resources to do exactly what they're doing as far as to making, you know, this continuous product that goes out into the market. Um, right. You're, you're a hundred percent right about, you know, the different variants and things that you can find in local scenes that the big breweries are going to pay less attention to. And, you know, isn't going to make regular practice about putting product like that out into the market. So, I mean, which one is better versus, you know, versus the other one? I get to me, it's an entirely relative question. You know, I have my opinion and, you know, my opinion comes from the fact that I like, you know, a variety of different flavors that I can find in the craft beer scene. You know, I'll, I'll come right out and admit, though, that, you know, my, you know, my tastes are different than some guy who lives, you know, lives down the street from me who's who's not who's not in that scene. So right. I guess... And it de- it depends on your intention too. Oh yeah, like it, you know, if, if you're looking to like 
open up a Grecian Cezanne and enjoy it for its character, you're not going to look to Miller Coors or Anheuser-Busch to do that. If your intention is to sit down, drink a beer as an, as a, as an accompaniment to a baseball or football game while you talk to your buddies, I mean, that's what, that's the market. That's what those guys are going after when you're talking about those big You just want to kick back and catch a buzz. Yeah, yeah, catch a little bit of a buzz because, let's be honest, they're like 4.5%, but catch a little <laughs> bit of a buzz and talk with your buddies. Like, that is, uh, you know, that that's what those are built for. And I think that's, I think that there's a place for that. I agree. And, and that's, you know, that's not a bad thing. Now, I think that um, over the year, in recent years, I, I'll say that, Anheuser-Busch and Miller Coors have kind of caught on to the fact that craft beer isn't going to go away and that they need to find a way to compete. And I'm I'm thinking of two breweries in particular that got bought out and not a whole lot. Now, you'll tell me if this is different because I moved away. Um, not a whole lot changed. And the first one is... Goose. Do you, do you can, there you go. And the second one is one around here called Devil's Backbone. Both of them got bought out by one of the mega breweries. I believe Goose got bought out by, was it Miller Coors or Anheuser-Busch? InBev. And they own Anheuser-Busch. And they own Anheuser, yeah. So, um, and the, and Devil's Backbone, I think, got bought out by Miller Coors, if I remember correctly. But Goose really didn't change much after it got bought out. And unless you can tell me different, I think a, like a three one two is still a three one two. It is, and um, people. I think that's part of the reason why Goose really hasn't lost a step at all since since the InBev acquisition. Um, they've kept doing what they're doing. InBev has been relatively hands off, at least from what the public can see. You know, and it's it it now has the best of both worlds. You know, it, it still has its foothold in the craft beer scene and has the resources, you know, of a multi-billion dollar industry giant like InBev. So, you know, to me, I, I feel it's a great story overall. And I feel like it's, you know, one of the ideal um, acquisition stories within, you know, within craft, craft beer in the last several years. Now, and I would say... I, I would echo that, but you know, I just something just occurred to me is is there a little bit of covert kind of sneaky nature to that going on to where you know they they didn't fold it into the Imbe, the Imbev family. They kind of left it as cores and kind of silently you know took over. Is there kind of a the the mega breweries kind of sneaking into the craft beer scene kind of under under the kind of cloak you know you know what i'm saying like is there is there that that is rel- is potentially worrisome that that is that 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 could corrupt some of what we're seeing in the in the craft beer scene i'm getting flashes of the x-files hearing you say that I, you know I, and i want to believe <laughs> yeah. yeah no i'm with you and 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 this is a li- uh, you know i'll grant the tinfoil hack conspiracy <laughs> nature of what i'm saying but i'm i'm just thinking about it is like and, and what ways you know, could then take shape i don't you know maybe we you know at some point get to the point where 
we, you know, they, they, and I, and I just worry about their legal dominance, like I said, to where they say, okay, well, basically no one can open a craft brewery because of X laws. And we're going to open quote craft breweries under this. Cause once they have that foothold, if they're able to get the 99% market share they used to have, goose isn't going to be goose. They're going to say, okay, great. We can now cut, you know, the, the quality and everything like that because no one can compete with us. It's the monopoly antitrust situation all over okay. again. All right, that's fair. You see what yeah. I'm saying? So, like I said, it's a little bit tinfoil hat, but it's more like a tinfoil visor because it's not, you know, I'm not covering my whole head here, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, like I said, that is not real. I mean, I don't, I don't know how much they're going to be able to do that and and i and i think that we we're still seeing a growth of um the craft breweries out there like we're seeing we're starting to see the bubble burst for some of them uh and and some of the ones that are weaker are starting to fall away but the ones that are being creative having consistently good product and are uh innovating they're sticking around and getting stronger. And, you know, it, I haven't looked up the numbers recently. It would be interesting to take a look at the market share of a, you know, of InBev, of Miller Coors, and see how it is shaping up in recent um, recent years. While we're talking, let, let's, let's both of us look that up because I, I, that's obviously very relevant for this, for this discussion. Um, but I guess the one other fact that I will add is while, while you are correct – there's a degree of consolidation within the market. There's a degree of small breweries that, you know, just have not made the cut and, you know, have just ex- exited the marketplace. But also, um, there's still a rate of new breweries popping up in the marketplace at an extremely high rate. So, I mean, you can you can spin that any any of those different ways, but you know the market share dominance. You know it's it's going in one direction and has been for the last several years. And and despite the the you know the consolidation, the the trend doesn't seem to be changing course. I'm, I'm looking at industry facts here, America's beer distributors. I was hoping to find it kind of over time, you know, but. Okay, so over 6 million barrels, number of breweries 15, they have a 72% market share by volume. Who, InBev? Well, breweries over 6 million barrels. There's only 15 of them. Okay, okay. So I'm assuming InBev and, you know, the other ones are in there, Uh, like Heineken and those ones. Sure. Uh, and then two million to six million is nine point four percent, and then uh, and then the rest of it is pretty much shared by breweries lower than two million barrels. So that's twenty percent of the market share is breweries less than uh, two million barrels. I want to see if I can find that for years past because I know three or four years ago that number was way lower than twenty. Oh, you know what? Here, I just found oh, something. Okay. Market share brewers in okay. So, uh, Anheuser Busch InBev in two thousand eight was forty eight percent share. In two thousand eighteen, forty percent. Okay. Miller Coors twenty nine percent to twenty three percent. Okay. Constellation, which I don't know them, five percent to nine point nine percent. Heineken 
4% to 3%, PAPSed, uh, 2% to basically 2%, all other domestics and imports, 9.6% to 20%. So over 10 years, it gained 10 points of percentage. Now, I, I'm, I'm assuming all other is going to be like craft breweries and things like that. And they do throw imports in there. But it just shows that those mega breweries don't have the same foothold they used to. Far from it. 9% to 20% of, you, say, you said this on a recent episode, it's a big pie. It's not a small pie, you know, the entire you yeah, know, the no, market share for, you know, for, for beer consumption. That's, that's huge, you know, over a very short, yeah. you know, overall short period of time. They, and believe me, you know, the investors, you know, at, you know, InBev and Miller, they see those numbers and they're like, what are we going to do? Because, you know, everything about those industries is, you know, what's, you know, what's your growth rate annually? What is your, what is your growth plans? What are you doing to get there? When those right. numbers start going in the opposite direction, you know, heads roll. That's just, you know. Right. For sure. You know, that's Absolutely. the life of big business. Right. And so I got my, oh, okay. So Constellation, I didn't know this. and I don't know if you know this. They make Corona and Modelo. Yeah. I, I was pretty sure. I was pretty sure those were the two. Yeah. Okay. And, and apparently Victoria and Pacifico. I think I know Pacifico. So Victoria, though. Yeah, no, I know, I know, I've, I think I've had, I definitely have Pacifico. I'm pretty sure I've had Victoria too. So basically, your typical, um, you know, Mexican lager beers are made by Constellation. Okay. All right. So, I mean, that's interesting. So, at the end of the day, should we be given uh, these, uh, you know, mega breweries the hate that we do? Is, is, that, is that a question for me? Uh, yeah. Should we be given? Should, should we be giving them the hate? Um, I don't think. Do they deserve? No, it? You know? Yes. Yes and no. Um, to some degree, but I think some of that hate is a little bit misguided. Um, I think there's a couple of things that us as you know as craft beer people should you know should keep in mind. You know, one is something that we're already doing, and one thing is something that we should start doing um number one is continue doing what we're doing as far as to you know supporting local breweries um i see a lot of that you know in the you know chicagoland area where we're at um people are very loyal to the scene and anytime mm-hmm. there's a new brewery opening up the same people are are, are appearing at those you know uh people rotate you know through just a you know a wide um, wide number of breweries that you know that have popped up and become prevalent in the area over the last five or six years. I I think I think we're doing, I think that area we're doing very well. And the fact that you know competition in this area for breweries, while one would from an outsider would see this as very fierce, it's so cool to see just how friendly it all is. You know, um, workforce brewing in Plainfield you know, is good buddies with our friends at Metal Monkey down in Romeoville. You know, those are by all means competing breweries because they're less than 10 miles apart, you know, but, you know, they're part of, you know, the same, you know, the same scene and, you know, a very close proximity. And they, you know, I'm sure they're both in, you know, a couple of brewers, um, um, 
associations or, or organizations of some kind together, you know, and they and they get along very well. That's that, you know, that's very cool, you know, to see just yeah. that camaraderie, you know, in the marketplace. He, yeah, I, I mean, I've told this story before, but in what other industry would we be able to walk into a brewery and say, hey, can we have your recipe for this beer? Because we want to try to make it. And they give it to yeah. us. You know, can, what, when, uh, what other industry can you walk in and say, can we have your trade secrets? <laughs> and they're like, yeah. sure, here the, you go. It, the answer, you know? the answer is none. In, in any right. other industry, you'd be like, dude, you are nuts. The door is right over there. I agree completely. <laughs> and, and then, but that's why I love beer, yeah. you know, and that is, and, and yeah, absolutely. So I'm sorry. You, I think you had a second point. I there. do. So that was the point that I think that I think that people are doing very well. Here's the here's the part that I think people need people should start doing. One of the one of the uh, struggles that the small breweries have is not bringing people in the door, you know, to try their beer. It's bringing people back into the door to order more of that beer. And that's, you know, that's still one of the footholds that the big breweries have that the small breweries don't is there's no loyalty, you know, in the craft beer scene. People aren't coming back for the same beers. They're just looking at looking elsewhere to find out, oh, you know, what else out there can I try? It's not so much. I mean, you know, if you walk out of, you know, your local, you know, brewery in Lamont with a six pack, what's the likelihood that you're going to go back to that same brewery for the same six pack two or three weeks from now? Probably pretty small because, you know, because you, because of the appeal of the variety out there in the market. Now, the people that are loyal to the, to the big breweries are not looking elsewhere. They're buying that, that same six pack or 12 pack week in and week out. And the big breweries money multiplies because of that. that's a really good point. So I guess then the question becomes, how can those craft breweries create that loyalty and that demand? I mean, I think part of it is because like you said, like you're in Darien, that brewery's in Lamont. I think I know who you're thinking of. You have to go all the way to Lamont to get it. And, Whereas if you wanted Miller Coors, you could go down to your local gas station and pick that up. So that makes having loyalty to that brand a lot easier because it's a lot more accessible. True. So what what do you think the craft breweries can do to help create and maintain that loyalty knowing that their product isn't as readily available. Well, this could this could be a double-edged sword right here and you know, I'm I'm sure a lot of people would disagree with this, but there's probably an argument to be made for the number of varieties that breweries are coming out with maybe to curtail off a little bit. Maybe hmm. focus maybe okay. focus on less varieties and more on the quality of those styles. You know, and just start creating some style and specific beer loyalties around the market. Well, and I think that's uh, that's what a lot of the more successful craft breweries have been doing. Like they they still experiment, and they still innovate, but like think of uh, Pollyanna, for example. They have their core that they always make, and they consistently make the same way. And so you get like the full Lamonti and Eleanor and, you know, the other ones I can't remember right now. And, but those are always the same, but then they innovate outside of that, 
you know, to to make other kind of one-off or experimental styles and things like that. So, I think you're right, and I th- and I think Pollyanna is one of the f- one of the select number of breweries that are doing things right on that front. You know, and and, and yeah, and, and in line with that, Pollyanna has, I would say, more distribution than a number of breweries in this area it's you know true. it's hard to say that they're the most distributed but you know i think in the grand scheme of things they're doing pretty well on the scale of uh craft breweries so i guess here, here's an, another interesting question because you know a lot of the breweries a lot of the craft breweries especially the ones that are starting up don't have that core they kind of just experiment and say okay well we made this and then we made this and then we made this does that lead to a culture of kind of cherry picking and tasting and not committing to anything. I think it does. And the market right now allows that because of just the 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 variety that's out there, you know, to be tried. When you have breweries coming out all the time, when you have new tap releases all the time and everything out there is radically different, you know, from one brewery to another as far as to what's being tapped and what's available. So I mean, listen. I mean, it's it's great for you know for a you know it's a taster's market, you know on you know on mm-hmm. every front, you know just because of what's available out there. If you can if you can think of it, you can find it pretty much you know anytime you want, you know depending on how far you're willing to travel. If you're in a you know a decent sized metropolitan city, you know with a decent sized craft beer scene, Chicago obviously fits that description well. So mm-hmm. you know. That I fe- I do feel like the craft brewery scene in this area has created problems for itself just because of you know those couple of facts you know kind of running together. Yeah, I'm not even sure it's in that area. I'm thinking about the ones that are in Fredericksburg and things like that, and they had the similar issues, you know. And but then I think about the craft breweries that are doing very well, like our 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 um, well the ones we you know fangirl about basically down in Richmond, <laughs> Hardywood and you know we and other ones Hardywood around here every show it really feels like we do it really feels like yeah. we do um and uh and devil's backbone and um uh there's a few uh, like bold rock and uh uh Third uh, Street, and, you know, other ones around here. I'm sorry, I'm having trouble coming up with names off the top of my head. But those ones, they have that core, and I think that that for for a craft brewery, that's got to be one of the things you you have to establish as you're starting out. You can experiment. You can say, I'm trying this. I'm trying this. I'm trying this. But within your first year, come up with what do you think? Five or six beers? Yeah, that I think that's a healthy number. Make up your that make up your core. And then experiment all you want outside of that. But have that core always available, always consistent, always high quality, and you'll start to build loyalty. I think you I think you nailed it. Well said. Yeah. Well said. And and Pollyanna is a good example of that. I didn't think of that when we started this discussion, but you're right. Full of Monty is a staple. Eleanor is a staple. Um they those beers came you know, came out early. They solidified as very you know, it's very good beers within the style that they were that they were in, you know, and mm-hmm. you know, and Pollyanna has not let those go. And you know what? Hats off to no, Pollyanna and they, for that. Absolutely, and they still get to do fun things like make an arenda, you know, and 
it, but so that's what I'm saying. It's like you can you can kind of have your cake and eat it too a little bit. You can have the stability of a core that kind of provides the stability of the larger breweries yeah. and that loyalty, but still have the flexibility and um, you know agility to be able to say, "Hey, brewed IPA is a style that's up and coming. Let's give it a whack." You know, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. You know, kind of thing. But you aren't you you have your core that you can fall back on and say okay even if this fails and i have to dump all of this you know um five barrel batch down the drain (coughs) i still have this going on you know right so so what is it for you 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 asked me that that question i mean is it is the you know are the big breweries is it worth all the backlash that they've gotten from the uh craft brewery scene or not so much um See, okay, so just and for me, it takes two. It takes on two different levels of thought. As a beer drinker, no, I don't think they deserve the hate. You okay. know, I think that the, um, I think that you know, there's a place for those mass market beers, and there's a place for craft beers and more inventive beers and and things like that. There's a place for both of those things. Um, just in the same way, there's a place for, say, Robert Mondave seven dollar wine table wine and a two hundred dollar bottle of Merlot. That's a good comparison. You know, there's there's a place for both of those things. Um, but there's as, as so that's my thoughts as a beer drinker. Now, as someone that is tangentially connected to the industry that has um you know some knowledge of the goings on from a business framework absolutely they do you know no no doubt in my mind they deserve the hate because right. they are dominant in the industry and they pull all the same dirty pool bullshit monopoly tricks to maintain that dominance that people saw back in you know the Ma Bell days. Yeah. And 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 to be perfectly honest, I'm surprised that we haven't seen a breakup happen from at least one of the the brewery. So, yeah, no, there's no way that would work. So, so for like I said, for me it's a, it's basically on those two levels. As a beer drinker, do what you're going to do. Now, uh, I was talking with my wife about this, and she brought up a possible notable exception. And I'm going to ask you what you think about this. Do you consider Sam Adams to be a mega brewery or a craft brewery? You know what? That that's that is a great question. Um, there's an argument on both on both sides of that. Because you know Sam Adams is you know one of the godfathers of craft craft of the craft beer scene. Um, mm-hmm. They're they're, too, they're almost too big to be a craft brewery, and that's you know that's kind of an argument of them being a big brewery. But they're not doing those things that the big breweries are doing. Um, right. So which lends them to be you know one of the you know more towards the the, the craft breweries. Um, I've got a soft spot in my heart for Sam Adams because that was one of my my early go to beers. Was their regular Boston oh. Lager? I still get you and me both. I still get excited every year when Sam Adams Oktoberfest comes out. I think that's a great beer. I have since I was mm-hmm. in my early twenties. Um, so 
I can't cry foul on Sam Adams really on any major front. So I will, you know, I will wave the flag of Sam Adams being a being a craft brewery. At least in, in like an honorary craft yeah. brewery. Yeah. Because I, mean, I think if they have attained it, I'm not sure what their actual like barrels are. I mean, they're obviously still in the all other domestics and imports category because they're not part of one of the ones that I listed above that. So they're part of that 20%. Um, but I mean, even if they're on the larger side, then, the, but they, they don't seem to, and maybe I'm snowed under by marketing, but I haven't seen them acting in a malicious manner towards other yeah. breweries or anything yeah, I like haven't, that. I haven't and, found that at all. And they still produce like Boston lager has a lot of like really good depth of flavor to it. And like you said, uh, Oktoberfest, I also agree. And their winter lager love that thing. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of really good, um, beers that they produce that maybe don't have exactly the same character and depth of flavor that a craft brewery does, but it's nowhere near a, a, a mega brewery. Yeah. You know? So I think they're they're an interesting hybridized animal. They are, and you know what? They've been around a long time too. Do you know offhand? I mean, is it what the early 1900s or something like that? Let me look that up. And the other one that she brought up, just because I'm from Pennsylvania, is Yingling, which is officially the world. You know, the the I believe it's the country. No, it's the, it's it's the U the oldest brewery in the U.S. Uh, is Yingling. Jeez, I was way off about about Sam Adams, man. I'm embarrassed. Uh, 1984 was when Sam Adams came out. 84? Okay. I thought it was way older than that. Yeah. yeah, when I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Yeah, I mean, if I'm perfectly honest, I think I would have pegged it as older than that, but that kind of makes sense because it's all pretty much been centered around that one dude that I'm ashamed that I can't remember his name right now. Um, do you know who I'm talking about? Not offhand. Hang on. No, I gotta, I gotta, um, Jim Coke. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty much been centered around him. So that is not terribly surprising. Yeah. But, you know, but another one that is kind of, a little bit of an outlier and it's a it is a more regional one although you can find it outside of is is that yingling brand so that is another one that i think kind of skirts the edge of craft brewery to mega brewery i think the point where they start getting mega brewery is is kind of in my mind kind of the college university division where a college is one thing and a university is multiple colleges, you know, when they start grabbing up other brands and creating a conglomeration, that's where I see it becoming like a mega brewery. Well, I think, I think I would put Yingling in a different conversation from it, from Sam Adams, because I would almost say that Yingling has a little bit more in common with the major breweries because they stick to a couple of staples. Whereas Sam Adams has a ton of variety and that's part of the appeal to them. Um, I don't know which one of those are bigger than the other. Um, obviously they're both, you know, they both have long histories and, you know, have their own unique staples in the market. Um, I mean, I think Yingling 
you know, while it does have a wide um, distribution, you know, it's far from one of the major breweries. But yeah, I would, I would sooner. Maybe I'm wrong in this thinking, but I would sooner call Sam Adams a craft brewery as opposed to um, Yingling, just for the variety reasons. I think you're probably right in that. And they do kind of stick to kind of traditional lager styles. And it is much more of a regional thing. So there's a, and, and, and it's very much of a Northeast kind of thing. Um, so there's a little bit of a, I mean, I don't even want to call it nostalgia, but um, for me, I think Yingling lager was one of the uh, first beers that I had. Uh, in a time that may or may not have been prior to illegal drinking age. <laughs> um, and so, I mean, there's a little bit of a nostalgia factor for me there. Um, but, you know, I totally get where you're coming from. Sam Adams, much more, much closer to a craft beer in style and variety and things like that. Yeah. So, yeah. So, and I just did confirm for myself because I wanted to make sure that they didn't get snapped up by one of those guys. And no, Yingling is a family controlled, family owned company. And they're, um, and, and, and it's going to continue to be that way. Yeah. Yeah. So that's good. And they make some good ice cream too. Oh, that's right. I do remember that. I've not tried that yeah. ice cream by itself, but, um, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. They yeah. they cover both both sides of that market. Well, they had to because they they started in 1829. They are the country's oldest brewery because they made it through prohibition, prohibition by, by switching by their going factory to ice, <laughs> to ice cream. Exactly. So they still continue <laughs> to make the ice cream after that. And uh, yeah. So, but yeah. Anyway, oh. that's um, yeah. That's just another side of it. So, one last question. Yeah. On this, and then I think we can put this to bed. Is you know, like I said, they, those guys in the uh, um, uh, in the mega breweries will be quick to say that we're just jealous, you know, of their success, of their you know reach, of their you know. Do you think there's an element, at least an element of that, that we can say is true? It's tough to argue um, whether or not that's a fair argument or not. I, I think is a different different conversation, but. It's it's hard to leave that part out entirely, um, for for obvious reasons. The big breweries have virtually unlimited resources, you know, and the you know the small breweries are you know the more locally focused, you know, grassroots, you know, type of businesses that are thriving on local appeal and and just you know growing their market share, you know, you know, one small level at a time. Um, with that become, you know, comes a lot of, lot of struggles, whether it be capital limitations, market limitations, distribution limitations, th- you know, things that the big breweries, you know, don't have to worry about to such an extent that their survival is, is threatened. So, you know, to that end, you know, it's no surprise that, um, you know, I'm getting off track well, here. No, but I see where you're going with that. And, and, and I agree that there's that element of it too. Like the resources, I could easily see a craft brewery going, man, I wish 
that I could buy grain at like two cents a yeah, you know, kind yeah. of thing. And, and I totally get where that's coming from. But do you think that, you know, Pollyanna or Metal Monkey or, um, or, or, you know, any of the other craft breweries around, do you think they really, you know, is their goal to become an imbev because i don't think that's the case i think they're in it for a different reason i don't think they want to become a machine like that and i think that a lot of them would trade the struggles of resourcing and things for the flexibility and um and and setup of being a craft brewery and 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 i was going to use the word purity that sounds really snobbish but you know what I, you know what i mean by that that like that, that that they're in it for the beer and not for the money kind of situation there's something to be said about that and there is a lot of truth on a lot of sides of that um my my argument on the other side would be that you know a small brewery's survival you know could be threatened by you know a number of varying um, factors that may or may not be within the brewery's control. The big breweries mm. do not have that same day-to-day concern about their overall survival. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, All right. Well, uh, yeah. That's a crap. You know, we can't go out on that note. That's, you know. That, okay. Fair yeah, enough. Yeah. yeah All okay. right. Light, lighten it up before we close out. Um, lighten it up. All uh, right. You know, there, there was there was another, another point I wanted to uh, bring up before we closed out. Um, Mm-hmm. What was that? I'm not, now I'm going to pay for not taking notes before we, before we got on the <laughs> recorder. Um, oh, um, okay. Here's one note I wanted to bring up before before we close out. Um, we've we've talked a lot about on this episode about um, you know likes and dislikes about about the major breweries and what we you know what you know what's been you know what's great about the craft brewery scene versus you know problems that it may be maybe creating for itself um mm-hmm. here's here's one point just from from my own viewpoint um my um overall just you know my overall love for the for the scene in general is is way stronger and more important to me than any negativity that i may feel about one of the big breweries you know it's 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 oh, less yeah. about you know sticking it to the man for me as it is you know being part of the great qualities that is you know being a part of you know small breweries and you know and of you know a scene such as such as craft brewery in this area i love the idea of you know campaigns about like drinking local you know hand in hand with shop local um i love the idea that i can walk into a neighborhood brewery and have a conversation with a guy who's got you know uh, you know several barrels of pilsner that's fermenting right now while i'm sipping a pilsner from his you know from the last batch that he made you know two or three months ago you know, mm-hmm. and like you, George, you gave this example earlier in the show. What other industry would you, could you have, you know, you know, sit down, have a conversation like that and get some very intimate details about the company's process and even the recipe for the actual product itself? Yeah. So uh, you just can't, you can't. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, well, while there's something, you know, there's something to be said, you know, to varying degrees about negative points to feel about, you know, the bigger players in the market, 
you know, the positive feelings about the small craft breweries is way more important and way more powerful to me to me than the other factors. That said, I did get a smile on my face when I looked at the share numbers from 2008 to 2018, and we went up by 10. percent That was gratifying. Sure was. You know, I don't even I don't even have a, a dog in that fight, and it's gratifying. <laughs> but you know, it's <laughs> yeah. But you know, I totally agree with what you're saying. Like, there's just a totally different atmosphere in being able to you know go into a brewery and sample it and talk to the brewmaster versus going into a bar drinking a mass market beer and the guy behind the bar has no stake in it yeah you know and it's just a totally different feeling yeah absolutely i really do feel like this is a perfect note to close out on yeah i agree you know you know for a show where we had no script and we just went in with a topic this felt really natural, and I feel really good about this. <laughs> I agree. This is great. Thank you so much yeah. for suggesting this. I mean, this came together all in the last 24 hours. Yeah, and I think that, you know, we should just think about what else we want to, you know, do. I mean, do we want – I realize you're probably going to cut most of this out, but is there – do we want to kind of talk any more about what our plans are for – April, do we know what our plans are for our brew day, what we want to do? I'll tell you what, let's close up the show and then let's keep the okay. mics on and let's let's talk about that. Okay. All right. All right. All one right. thing uh, one last thing before we close out, I will uh, re-mention mm-hmm. our social media pages. Check us out at on Facebook at Nice Place to Brew, Instagram at a nice place to brew. And uh, the question posed early on, on in the show, and I'd really like to hear from everybody. How many five-gallon kegs do you as a home brewer own? I really want a picture around this because I need just a picture around, am I just being cheap and unreasonable and I just need to bite the bullet and buy more kegs? So, uh, how, I would add one thing to that. How many do you own and do you feel like it's enough? Because, <laughs> I mean, you know there's that plenty of other be. people. Well, I mean, for me, I would say yes. You know, uh, two is enough. It's what fits in my kegerator, and I and, and and at the rate that I drink beer, and the and unfortunately the friends that I have to share with right now, I I have plenty. <laughs> but the you know for other, you know I'd be interested to see what other people have to say. All right, well you got yeah. the two pages. Send us the feedback. I really I really want to delve into this further. All right. And I also want to point out um, I'm making some I know that our website is is lagging behind. I'm I'm spending some time this week to make some updates to that, revamp it and make it, you know, shiny. Um, so keep an eye out for that and uh, I'll update uh, social media and things like that once uh, once we have some new features and new things for you guys to look www.aniceplacetobrew.com George um, Moonlights is a web designer, and he's actually very good at it. Um, and what we have, I mean, while it's, you know, about to be revamped and, you know, and tidied up a little bit, um, what we have out there is, you know, is a pretty solid website when you, when it, uh, in the, in the, in the <laughs> scheme of everything. No, I, honestly. And um, so I'll look forward to seeing the new site and, you know, but don't, don't wait for a new site. Check us out now at, at niceplacetobrew.com. All right. All right. Shall we? We shall. All right. It takes a lot of good beer to make great beer. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.